kind of brings a new light to my life. And it's not exactly a light that I like. Meaning that if I'm talking about joy, the things that I think didn't annoy me, annoys me now. For instance, uh, my lovely daughter, Aspen, uh, she's five years old. Uh, she likes to wake up nice and early in the morning, about six o'clock. Now, for me, that's like, you know, you're up earlier. God bless you, crazy person. Um, that's on you. Not enough coffee in the world to get me up that early unless it's hunting season, all the guys said. Amen, right? Uh, but uh, so she likes to get up at six and uh, usually kids kind of wake up maybe groggy eyed, got the kind of the eye boogers and they're kind of wiping them out. And it's kind of a, maybe a sweet moment in your household. Um, not mine. Uh, Aspen likes to go from zero to 3,000. And, uh, and so she wakes up early and what's her normal routine is I think she's hungry. So she darts to the refrigerator. She sees the big thing of orange juice, sees the little Paw Patrol cup that we got her. And she does her best to pour this entire gallon of orange juice in this little tiny four ounce cup. And that four ounce cup does get filled, um, but so does the rest of the floor. And so we have been experiencing trying to live out our sermon to the best that we can about, hey, in all things, in all things, rejoice. In all things, rejoice. If you watched the Husker game last night, in all things, rejoice. In all things, rejoice. And that's what we're talking about this whole series called Joy. And if you're new with us, the reason we're going through this book is because Paul, the author of this book, is writing for one reason and one reason only. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down, is that the mature mark, church, of a Christian is how you handle your bad days. A mature mark on you as a Christian is how you handle your bad days. I have bad days just like everybody else. And just like everybody else, when I have my bad days, the last thing I want to do is rejoice. The first thing I'd like to do is complain, gripe, be bitter, post something on Facebook, and just sit in my pity party. But I want to let you know, Jesus does not call his followers to have a pity party. He calls his followers to rejoice. And Paul, he's the author of this, and Paul, I think, has any right more than anyone else to tell us, hey, I don't care how your day is going or your circumstances may be, but you need to rejoice. In fact, you're called to rejoice. Paul, again, the author of this book, he has been in prison. He's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, encouraging them. Paul has a life that is just one massive bad day. He's kind of the guy that maybe you don't want to be around because his bad days might rub off on you. Like, his day is anything that can go wrong will go wrong. For instance, he has been in jail. He has been tortured. He has been whipped, beaten, shipwrecked, uh, stranded out in the ocean. Uh, there's one time where he was stranded in the ocean and he was left night and day kind of bobbing like a cork on the ocean. And uh, he finally sees this little island. And so he gets to the island and he's cold. He's like, I'm going to build a fire. And so you're like, oh, maybe there's a little glimmer of hope. But as soon as he starts building a fire, this stupid snake just jumps out and bites him. It's like, if your day can't get any worse than being a shipwrecked Paul, Try adding a snake bite to that. And this is Paul's life. This is what Paul has been going to, and he's in this, he's in this prison in Rome. And the reason why that's important is because his dream was to go to Rome and preach the gospel, and that maybe thousands might get saved. But instead of preaching on the platform, he's preaching in a prison. 
And I think if he was writing a letter and if he was just being human just like anyone else, it'd be easy to write the letter saying, hey, are you getting my lawyer to get me out of this place? Are you planning a breakout? Are you doing anything to help me out? But this letter to the church of Philippi is something completely different. And he's saying, hey, guys, in all things, including my own circumstances, we have to rejoice. We have to rejoice. In fact, Philippians 4.4, kind of jumping to the end, he says this thing, kind of just a last hurrah of the letter. He says this, always be full of joy in the Lord. Always be full of joy. I say it again, rejoice. And he's not saying, hey, like I joiced once and I got to joice again. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I have the Lord's joy in me, but now I need to express it. Like, I've got the Lord's joy in me. I think a lot of us, were at that point. We have the Lord's joy in our life. But we neglect the, the part where he says, again, I will say rejoice, meaning, have you expressed the Lord's joy in your bad days? Have you expressed the Lord's joy in your bad days? I'm not talking about, you know, being happy like you drink 10 cups of coffee, you're entering work at 5 in the morning and say, hey, are you guys ready for the day? You might get punched in the face. I will punch you in the face if you do that to me. But he's saying this, man, if you're having the worst of the days, maybe it's time for you vocally to say, you know what, the Lord is good. God is good. It could always be worse. That's why I tell my family, it could always be worse. When we have little Aspen and she gets up and she pours the uh, uh, Sunny D all over the floor and we want to maybe yell and, and, and maybe get a little frustrated with her, I have to, I have to remind myself is, with this, is like there are parents that wish, people who wish to be parents that could have this mess in their life. And I have the blessing and opportunity to have a child. Now, I'm not saying we excuse the mess and say, make all the messes in the world, honey. But we're like, okay, it's not as bad as we may think it is. So we got to rejoice. We got to rejoice. I want to show you a few things that bring joy to my life. Obviously, Jesus, of course, brings joy. But there are a few things in my own life that brings joy. I want to show you a couple pictures. Still the first one up there. Uh, first picture, uh, that's my lovely wife. Um, I love uh, my wife. I don't know where this picture was taken. Oh, that was at my brother's wedding, wasn't it? Um, and uh, I, my wife and I, we believe we have the best marriage that we can possibly have. And I, I don't say that just to brag. I do honestly believe we have a great marriage. We do. Uh, I, I can't explain it. If you want some advice, I, I probably won't give it to you. Um, but we, 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 we plan that. Um, and so, uh, but no, the, the reason we love our, our marriage and we think that we have a lot of joy in our marriage is because uh, we both grow to God individually first. And because of that, as we're growing closer to God, we grow closer together. And that brings a lot of joy in my life. Here's another one that brings joy. Um, this was taken up at Laramie, Wyoming, uh, with all my kids. If you guys haven't been to Laramie, uh, this place called a little place called Centennial, Wyoming. It's about 30 minutes from Laramie. There's this awesome place that just looks like you're in the Yellowstone. You're not. You're still 100 miles away. But there's just crystal blue lakes, and it's just a beautiful place. There's a little ski resort up there. Uh, but it was awesome to see uh, Aspen and Micah. And Brooklyn was just on for the ride. She's just there. Uh, but she's loving it. But uh, uh, Aspen and Micah, they're just looking at these huge rocks, you know, just these magnificent rocks and the blue water. And they're just, they're just the littlest things, the, the, the mountain flowers that they would pick and give to us. Like they, they, it was just bringing joy because they're like, oh, look at this, Dad. Look at that. Uh, Micah, actually, we got up there, uh, and there was a biker up there who was uh, coincidentally from Grant. 
And uh, he says, hey, you guys are from Nebraska. I'm like, yeah. And uh, he's like, uh, I've got some fish uh, on this pole. He's got like three fishing poles out there. He's like, I, all these poles have fish on them. I'm trying to reel. Can your son reel them in? And uh, Micah, he's, he's never reeled in a fish, but he reeled in his first fish that day. And he was so excited. And, and I'm like, oh, we got to get him fishing because he didn't know how to reel in a fish. He, uh, he grabbed the pole. And I told him, I'm like, just crank it and you'll bring the fish in. But he didn't see the fish. And so he thought he had to walk closer to the fish. And he got to the point on this, this boulder and he was, he, he was thinking it. Do I need to jump in there to get the fish? And, I, and we taught him to do that. But it was just a joy to see that. It was a huge joy, a joy to my life. It, it brings me rest and, and, and energy, and it's a really great time. Uh, this one's kind of my own personal joy. You can throw this next one up there. Um, this is actually two pictures. Uh, the one on the left, that's me and my duck blind. Um, any here duck hunters in here? Anyone here hunt? Uh, I, that, it truly does bring me joy. Uh, I'm not an evil man that likes to kill birds. Um, I'm just a nice pastor that likes to kill birds. Um, but there's something on, on a crisp fall morning, sitting on a duck blind, calling in ducks and watching the birds move. The other thing that brings me joy is uh, that's my dog, Lexi, and that's with her first pheasant. And uh, she retrieved that pheasant, and it was awesome. She was so small that time that the rooster actually kind of caught corner of her eye. But uh, she was just someone, if you guys have worked with dogs and hunting in that atmosphere, it, it brings a smile to your face to see your dog work and, and get her first bird. And so uh, that's the things that kind of bring me joy. And like many of you, there are things in this world that brings joy to your life. But joy is something you have to fight for. Joy is something you have to fight for, to be intentionally looking for, because right now, I don't know if you have seen our news, our world is a little crazy. Our world is at the brink of something I don't know what, and I think it tells me that right now there's got to be something more in this world than what we see. I mean, right now, just to kind of put out there, we've been at war in the Middle East for what seems like years, and because it has been years. Uh, uh, we have been at tension with Russia and China. Uh, our national debt is just over the top, plus adding another election season coming up pretty quick, uh, which I do not like. I, I hate that because it's just nipping at other people. Uh, and it's so hard to find joy or just even to be happy. And since we want to be happy, uh, I was just a little curious. I want, I want to know who's like the happiest state in our, in our country? Who's the happiest state? So I looked it up, and in 2018, they researched these factors. They looked at emotional and physical well-being, uh, the work environment, um, the community environment, and they scored them from zero to 100. And the number one didn't surprise me at all. The number one happiest state uh, is Hawaii. I mean, duh. I mean, come on. If you have to... Come on. I have a friend that's in Maui, and she's like, oh, stress-free. I'm like, of course you would be. Of course you are. You're in Maui. And so, I mean, we have Lake McConaughey, and you're in Maui. And uh, so, yeah, so, I mean, that, that's Hawaii. But here's their score, though. It's zero from 100. So think of almost like a test score, if you will. They scored a 68. A 68. And this is the number one happiest state. Nebraska, thank God, was in top 10. Was top 10. But even we scored a 59. We scored a 59. The least happiest states were West Virginia with a 33 and Arkansas with a 36. And I think it's great our state was in the top 10. But if you look at our score, we still scored an F. We still scored an F. And so I want, I want to say this. This should show us that there is something more than happiness in this world. There's got to be more than something that is just happiness. Because right now, happiness is failing us. 
Happiness is failing us. There's got to be something. And I think it's this joy because joy is not from us. It's from the Lord. Joy, we can't create the joy. Joy is from God. Happiness is what we can create. We can conjure up happiness. We can, even our circumstances can bring happiness, but joy is something that we have no control of. And since God wants the best for you, he's got something called joy. Take a look at Philippians chapter two, verses one through two. We're gonna kick off. This is Paul, he's talking to his church, and he says this. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being the same mind, having the same love and being in full accord and of one Mind. Now, remember Paul, he planted this church and he's in prison and he's writing all of this stuff. And he's saying, hey, I want you to have joy. And this joy is so important that I will receive joy once you have joy. Once you have joy, I will finally have joy. And I just want to echo Paul's words because Paul's having a pastor moment here. One of the things I do receive joy from, and I didn't put it on there as a picture. Now, I took a picture down here because, again, I brought me, it brought me joy is you guys. Now, with that being said, some of you guys frustrate me, and I want to help you out as much as I can, and I love you to death. But overall, that affects my happiness, but it does not affect my joy. Because this morning, I tell you what, you see around us, uh, four years ago, we didn't have a children's ministry, and now we have 50 kids a Sunday. Four years ago, yeah, go ahead, clap, that's good, let's clap, let's clap. Four years ago, we had an average of 20 people, and now we're up between 100 and 120 that's good. Clap for that. Now, numbers are great. I'm a numbers guy. I like numbers. But here's what brings me joy. When my church gets to the point that no matter what happens, they're firm in Jesus. That's where I get my joy. And I have seen on Facebook and I have seen in our discussions that you guys are growing in Christ and to the point that it does, it does not matter what the world throws at you. You guys are rooted in Jesus Christ. And that brings me joy. And that's what Paul is saying right here. He says, hey, guys, when you find this joy that's unshakable and unwavering in this world, I will receive joy. But because joy is not from this world, the enemy is going to try to do things to kill your joy. Philippians chapter 2, I call these the joy killers. Chapter 2, verses 3, he says this. Paul saying, watch out for these things. These things will kill your joy. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. These are joy killers, and I think we can simplify them in two things for us. I'm going to simplify them for you. Joy killers for you guys to watch out for in this world. Joy killer number one, living to impress. Joy killer number one, living to impress. It was called keeping up with the Joneses. Now it's called keeping up with the Kardashians. That's what it's like. And what we, what we try to do is we, we, we try to create this lifestyle that really brings us happiness. So we, we try to get the house. We try to get the perfect job, the perfect spouse, the perfect kids. Good luck on that one. We try to get all these things. We try to get the vehicle, the, the clothes. And we do all of this because we want to impress. And more times than not, we try to impress people we don't even like. Have you guys been there? That person that just annoys you and you're like, oh man, if I get this truck, I know what they're going to think. Like, oh, that's a nice truck. And I don't even like that person, but I care what they think about. That's the entrapment of living to impress. 
And here's the thing, church. If you are so consumed with impressing, it will actually bring you more grief than joy. If you're so consumed with impressing people, it will bring you more grief than joy. Look at it. You get the truck, you get the house, you want to be extravagant. And I'm not saying it's nice to have, it's nice to have good things, but as the good old Ramsey says, he says, he, what does he say? It's good to have nice things, but it's not nice to have the nice things have you. Something like that. I just totally ruined that. Don't quote that. Um, that's really bad, really bad. But essentially he's saying, don't be so consumed with trying to buy the nice things, because when you do that, you get in your head over in debt, which does not bring you joy. You wear things that are really uncomfortable, but they look good, but it doesn't bring you joy because you're uncomfortable. You got to unbutton your pants anyways at the dinner table. Come on now, anyone here with me? I mean, we've been there. We've been there, and it brings you more grief than joy. You can write it this way. You can write it down this way. When you live to impress others, you're living to promote yourself. And what we just read, that's called selfish ambition. It's called selfish ambition, the very thing that Paul told his church to avoid because it will kill your joy. Joy killer number one, living to impress. Here's the second one, joy killer number two, living for the applause. Living for the applause. There are so many songs out there, including the Lady Gaga song a few years that came out saying living for the applause. And this is kind of the thing today. It looks like so many things, but the biggest one, I believe personally, we live for the applause on social media. We live for the applause on social media. If you have Instagram, you know what I'm talking about. Parents, if, if you don't have Instagram or even if you're part of the older generations, don't tune out here because you need to know what is happening in your kids' and your grandchildren's lives right now. Because social media, this next generation, the generation that we have with us, they're a digital generation. My generation, we went from the startup of internet to the digital age, so we see this, but this generation does not know what life is like without digital. They have no idea what it's like. And I'm not saying digital is bad. Digital has brought many good things. It's actually helped advance the gospel in so many ways. But, but, if you're consumed with living for the applause in this digital age, in the digital world, you have an audience that you never had before. And it's so easy. So for Instagram, they, uh, what happens is a lot of times we post something and you're waiting to see how many hearts you get on your Instagram. And each little heart is kind of like a like on Facebook. It's kind of like just a round of applause for you. And Instagram has actually studied this because a lot of times people are finding out, hey, if I didn't get as many hearts as I wished I would have had, what did I do wrong? Am I, am I not dressing enough or not enough? Am I posting something that's not hashtagable? I know this sounds silly, but this is our generation coming up. This is what they're living in. And they're gonna start thinking something's wrong with me because I'm not getting the correct response on Instagram. Now I have an Instagram account too, and I love Instagram, but it's so easy to be addicted to living for the applause. And so Instagram has actually studied this and, and related the effects to depression and anxiety. And so now in countries, not us yet, and I wish they'd get here pretty quick, but they're experimenting in other countries that they're actually taking away the counter that tells you how many likes you get. They'll list the names if you click on who likes it, but they won't let you know the number because they're finding out people are living for the applause through this number. 
Another social media account that uh, kind of really gets me. Um, I, I, I have this one. I don't use it a lot. I haven't gotten to it. Um, and I, frankly, uh, I probably won't use it. But uh, a lot of us here do use it. It's called Snapchat. It's called Snapchat. It, it's, it's, it's a great app. It can be a very dangerous app. Parents, if, if, if you don't know Snapchat, you need to study that, please. Learn about that. Be in that. Be in your children's social media accounts. Please be in your children's social media accounts. But there's this thing called Snapchat. And Snapchat has one of these things called filters. And what they do is they, they make you look differently. And for some people, they believe these filters make them look better than what they really are. And I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm saying... Right now, people are posting pictures with these filters on their faces, and they're proclaiming this is the real them. I mean, if I can be honest, these filters are ridiculous. Like, you look like a puppy dog. <laughs> but with this, the filter contours your face, it gets rid of any of the blemishes and flaws, and it, really, it does make you look really good. And they found out that if I post a picture like this, I get more applause this way than if I post a real picture unfiltered. And if I know Jesus that I read in the Bible, he wants you unfiltered. And people are living for the applause. I'm telling you, when you live for the applause, it will kill your joy. When people get caught up in pressing people or living for the applause of people, your joy will die because you were not created for the love of people. You're not created to live for people. You're created to live for one person only, and that is Jesus Christ. And when you mix that up, when you live for the people of this world, you won't have that joy. You actually, in return, get depression, stress, anxiety, things like grief. Sadly, the results are things like suicide. And I know it sounds kind of weird because some parents right now are saying, why are you talking about suicide when the kids are here? If I can be honest, your kids know a lot more about that stuff at this age than you know. That word is nothing new in their ears. Because now it's very common for kids at their age to have depression and anxiety. Now, if I can be honest, the answer, first thing, the first answer is Jesus. You've got to pray for your kids. So if Jesus wants to have joy, there's got to be a key to joy. What, what's the key to joy? Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says this. He says in the first line, he says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all names." I know we talked about this in the last sermon series, but according to this, it's, it sounds so simple because it really is. The key to joy is serving like Christ. The key to joy is serving like Christ, really to humble ourselves and to serve Jesus and others. And Jesus, he was the perfect example. In fact, he, he counted it to serve you, church. Tune in here, tune in here. He counted it a joy to serve you to the point of the cross. In fact, it was a common uh, uh, thing. People are wondering, like, what, you know, Jesus, he, he, he was deity, but, but what kept him on the cross? And people says, well, he had nails. Nails kept him on the cross. I would argue the fact that it wasn't nails, it was joy. 
Joy kept Jesus on the cross. And we know this by this verse right here. Hebrews 12, 12, it says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. The reason Jesus stayed on the cross is because he counted it a joy to serve you. He counted it a joy to die for you. And that's the key to joy, church, is really this. We've got to develop a servant's heart. Because when we're living for the applause and we're living to impress, we're not serving God or others. You have to develop a servant's heart. And it takes some time and it's possible. But you got to condition your heart to serve. And I just want to quickly give you three ways to do that, how to condition your heart as we carry on to Philippians chapter 2. Number one is this, to develop a servant's heart is this, go all in with God. Go all in with God. The Christian walk today, I believe, is with a limp, meaning that we have one foot with God and one foot in selfish desires. And when you're walking with one foot with God and one foot in this world, you're walking with a limp. You're not walking fully according to God. And that's so important. You have to go all in with God. Philippians 2, verse 12, he says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. Now that I'm away, it's even more important. He's saying, hey, hey, you did really good when I'm with you, but now that I'm away from you, it's even more important that you do this. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases you. Here, he's simply saying this, let the people know the fruit of your salvation. He's not saying you have to work to be saved. Let's get that out of the building right now. I'm not saying you have to earn your salvation. By the grace of God, we are saved, amen? But he's saying because of that grace that you are saved, you now have the opportunity to develop fruit a physical symbol showing everyone else around you that you are indeed in love with Christ. So maybe you should ask ourselves the question is this, are you resembling fruit? Are you bearing fruit? Let people know the fruit of the salvation. Let them know how much you love God. And really, what that part of that says there, to, to work it out with fear and trembling, he's not talking about like, like, like the fear, like, oh, I'm really scared, but more of like, let them know that you take God seriously. If I can be honest, I think this is the biggest thing that we lack today in our culture in America. We don't take God seriously. We don't. And parents, let me kind of be brutally honest. If you don't take God seriously in your household, it doesn't matter how many times you send your kids to church, they're not going to get it if it's not in your household. Say it one more time. It does not matter how many times you send your kids to church, they're not going to get Jesus until it's worked out in the household. So let them know you take God seriously. Let, them know, let the world know you take God seriously. In fact, the phrase to work it out is in the same sense in the Greek uh, that when they talk about working a gold mine, meaning that there's a treasure that needs to be unearthed. And you're going to have to pick up the pickaxe and start chipping away at the rock, and you're going to reach for that gold. Each of you, you have gold in your life with the walk with Jesus Christ. And you're going to have to start picking up the pickaxe and start working it out. 
finding more about Jesus, diving more in the mysteries of God, serving in his church, giving, trusting God with your finances, uh, joining community groups, start having those intentional relationships. All those different things are considered the gold in your lives. So remember, works don't save you, but when you are saved, the world will know it by how you live your life. So go all in with God. Number two to develop a servant's heart is this. Take a genuine interest in others. Take a genuine interest in others. Paul is in this letter. He's sending a guy by the name of Timothy to this church. Timothy was a young guy, very much like myself. Uh, he probably had a really cool beard, um, very good looking. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> Don't laugh. I heard you guys laughing down there. But he's sending this guy named Timothy, and he has a reason to send this guy. And he's saying this in Philippians 2, 19. He says, if the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you're getting along. I have no one else like Timothy, underline this next part, who genuinely cares about you. All the others care for only themselves and not for what matters to Christ Jesus. If you want to have the key to joy and develop a servant's heart, you got to have a genuine interest in others. Now, here's the thing in this world. We treat the word interest like the Facebook event where it says, hey, there's something going on in Cody Park, and you click interested, but you, don't, you really aren't not interested. Like, you're just, I'm glad it's happening, but I don't really care. Like, we've all been there. You just click interested. Some of us, we even mark that we're going. We don't even go. But this term right here, interested, is actually a very deep, a deep term. It says this, to have a genuine interest translated means this, having the values claimed. Meaning that when you have a genuine interest for someone, it means that you care for them with our actions like we claim with our words even if we don't feel like it. Translated to this, how do you talk about that person? Oh, I love them. They are awesome. I count them as my closest friends. I care for them. I will be there at any moment that they might need. But if your actions don't follow your words, you don't actually genuinely care for them. Because when you take a genuine interest in others, your actions will follow the words that claim that you have a genuine interest in them. And so I say this, who do you have a genuine interest in? I think it's easy to say, well, we'll treat it like our Facebook friends. I have a genuine interest in all of them. I can see what they're up to. I can see the highlights. If I'm more interested, I can Facebook stalk them. Come on, we've all done that. We can do all that stuff. I would, I would argue that you're not genuinely interested. You're just curious. But you're not generally interested. Can I say this as your pastor? And I don't mean to, 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 to cut, maybe kind of diminish the love that I have for you, but I don't have a genuine interest in everyone here. The rocks haven't been thrown yet, okay. I love you and I care for you. But even in my circle, I have a select few who I have genuine interest. Like I, I will be there night or day. I will travel thousands of miles for them. And I, I know it sounds really mean because you're thinking, well, why don't, you, don't you do that for me? I can't. Right now there's 120 of you. If I could be really honest, 
I would have to neglect my family to take care of you. Even Jesus, let's just look at Jesus really quick. Jesus, he only had a genuine interest in others. And we think it's his 12 disciples, but it wasn't even that. He had three of his disciples that he had a genuine interest in, his closest friends and confidants. I would argue this with you, church. Develop those relationships where you can have a genuine interest. I showed you a few, few things that brought joy in my life at the beginning. One of them, uh, well, actually two of the pictures were my wife and kids, um, and, and I love them, and I believe they, they love me, but if you guys are, have been married um, or you have kids, family can annoy you a little bit. Like, they can annoy you a lot a bit. For an example, um, I like having a nice dry towel after a shower. Anyone with me? When I get out of the shower and I reach for the towel, two things usually happen. First one, there's nothing there. Where did my towel go? Number two, why is the towel wet? Did someone miss the toilet and they cleaned up the towel and they just hung it back up? Parents, we've done that. And so I have to walk out and get the towel. That's nice and dry. But when that happens, it annoys me. It's like, babe, get your own towel. Like, don't just use mine for your hair and stuff. Like, just get your own. We got plenty of towels here. And the other one is, I like to have a clean toothpaste tube. For like the last eight years, it's never happened. And I get very frustrated. Like, who loses the toothpaste cap? Like the new ones are even connected to the bottle. Who tore it off? Like what has happened to it? And why is there like some like weird like colored gluish stuff on top of it that I have to like unearth and excavate to get the good stuff from the inside? Like, ugh. Or the biggest one that we have, the biggest argument in our life right now. We have it on a regular basis and we have it every time after church. We get in the car and I look at my beautiful wife and I smile at my kids. And we're driving. And I'm like, church was great, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really good. I'm like, man, it was awesome. I think I did a good job. We'll say yada, yada, yada. This was going great. And all that stuff. So, babe, where do you want to eat? <laughs> now, here's the response is, oh, I don't care. I don't care. You just choose. I'm like, all right, cool. It's a, it's a joy-filled Sunday, and we're driving, and we're going. And I pick a place that is coincidentally not the place where she wants to eat. And so I pull in, and I hear a... Where would you want to eat? Oh, I, I, I don't care. Just anywhere but here. Babe, you better get your stuff together because I want to take this van and drive it in the river if we cannot find a place to eat. And so now if you follow us out of the church, you will see us driving this big loop at least five times. Dewey's and Jeffers, Dewey's and Jeffers, Dewey's and Jeffers, Dewey's, praying to God, speaking in tongues and doing everything that I can for a holy anointing that my wife would have a revelation of where we're going to eat today. Now, I, I made a huge embellish of that. And I love my wife. And we do sometimes find a place to eat. Sometimes we fast that day. I don't know. <laughs> but man, like, like I'll, I'll tell you, those things, we laugh about, but they do not bring me happiness. 
it actually it brings a lot of frustration. And it's kind of resulted in some bigger fights. But it does not affect my joy. Did you catch that, church? These things do not bring me happiness. They, they cause me frustration, anger, stress. But they do not affect my joy. It do not affect my joy because in these moments, I'm not happy. They bring me joy because I'm genuinely interested and invested in my wife and my family. They mean that much to me that I will overlook the other things that disrupt my happiness because in this life, it's not about happiness, church. It's about joy. It's not about happiness. It's about joy. Last way to develop a servant's heart and have the key to joy is this. Live a life of intentional relationships. Live a life of intentional relationships. Look at this last part in Philippians chapter 2, 25. It says this, Meanwhile, I thought I should send, uh, I, practiced, I practiced this name, uh, Epaphroditus, we'll call him bro of Paul, uh, back to you. He's a true brother, that's why we call him bro, co-worker and fellow soldier. He was your messenger to help me in my need. And I know just reading this, it doesn't seem like a lot. We can skip it. But I want you to look at something. This is about a guy that this church loved a lot because this guy lived life with his church. He lived life with his church. Church, a key to joy is to have intentional relationships and not to just do that on your own, but to do it with other believers. I want to get rid of this whole false ideology out there right now where it says, if you love Jesus, you're good to go and you don't need to go to church. You're good to go, you don't need to go. I will give you the credit that you, that you can still be saved and not go to church. But I will tell you, you are missing a massive part of your walk with Jesus Christ. The part of gathering corporately like this and doing life together. And here at our church, we're going to be talking about it. And it's actually one of our values that we're creating right now at our church is the part that we value community. We do this through community groups. You're here talking about community groups all the time, and we're not going to stop talking about them because I'm going to let you know the aspect of community is diminishing in our culture. We're losing community, especially within the church. Because here's the thing, our church is growing. We applauded for the numbers that we just heard, and it's a great thing. And let me tell you, when the light comes on in the church, and it has been for a while, people are gonna be drawn to the church, and we're gonna keep growing larger, and we're gonna have to do some things, and we'll wrestle that whole thing when we cross that bridge. But as we grow larger, I need to make sure, as you are kind of under my care, we need to be in a place that we are known. And if I can be honest, as the pastor, there's some of these faces right now where I don't know you. And that's okay because the pastor can't know everyone. But I can tell you where you can be known. It's in community groups. Where you're going to gather together with other like-minded people, maybe in the same season as you, uh, maybe not in the same season, which is actually really great. And you get to do life with people. You get to bear one another's burdens and get to know each other. Right now, we have community group signups back there at the table. I encourage you guys to sign up. But right now, they gather every other week. They eat food together. They break bread together. They get to know each other. You go over the Bible, take the message further. 
For junior high high school students, if you're that students today, uh, junior high and high school students, we have Rock Youth, where every Wednesday you can hang out with other students, with our youth leaders, and develop those relationships. You can sign up on our website, therocknp.com, for those, because even you guys, junior highers and high schoolers, you need to have relationships. Even K through five, we have a thing called Slam and Kids Rock. Kids Rock's every morning during service. Slam is our Wednesday night program every week, right here at the Rock Church at 6.30, where they can, again, develop and intentional relationships. And this is so important to have because church, we are created not to go through this life alone. We're created to go through this life with relationships. Even Jesus had best friends. Even Jesus had best friends. So why do we think we're exempt when it comes to our church? I encourage you guys, join a community group. It is the way to be known here at The Rock Church. So why do we do all of this? Why do we do these things like when we go on with God? Why do we take a genuine interest in others? Why do we live a life full of intentional relationships? This is why in Philippians 2, Paul's saying in verse 14, he says, do everything without complaining and arguing. That's a whole other sermon we'll get to. So that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God. Let me tell you, I, I want to say it during service, but God was really moving, so I'm like, I'm just going to wait till I preach. You, we had children up here, and it was a beautiful picture, a beautiful picture of what heaven is like. But I want to tell you, church, heaven is a personal experience, not a picture just to look at. Because Jesus says we need to be humbled like a child. And we see this, we see children up here and like, that's great, good for them. But we don't live that. I mean, did you see their joy that they had when they worshiped? That's the very same joy that God is calling you to have as adults. No matter what age you are, did you see the intensity and seriousness that they took the presence of worship? God's calling you to have that as adults. And that is why when we do Sunday fun day like this, we actually, we tell our kids, this is not a children's program. You are leading the adults into worship, into the Holy Spirit's presence. And church, when we grasp that, joy will overtake you. Joy will overtake you. And so if I can be really honest, we have Sunday fun day so the kids can teach you a lesson. Because these kids get it. And it's sad that we grow out of the awe and wonder of Jesus Christ. These kids get it. And I want them to rub off on you as adults because that is how the church grows. It's amazing how kids can still find joy even in a world of destruction. Able to pull out the smallest detail that brings them joy. While we as adults, we look at the big old messy picture and we gripe about it. The reason we do all of this, the key to joy, to go all in with God, to, to live a life of intentional relationships and all the things that we talked about, is because when we do that, verse 15 he says, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining bright lights in a world full of crooked, perverse people. 
You see, when you have joy and you express it, when he says, I have joy, again, I say rejoice. When you express your joy, you bring a light into this world. And God will lift you up. He will exalt you. I know that sounds weird. Because today we talk about being humble and saying, you know what, you need to be low and meek and all this. But when you are humbled with joy, God actually exalts you. He actually promotes you. First uh, Peter 5, we're going to wrap up with this. He says this, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Let me tell you, when he exalts you, church, please get this, because I think a lot of time we back down from God's promotions in our community. You need to hear this is when you're living right with God, he's going to put you in places that you can shine like no one else can shine to bring him glory and to bring others closer to God. And that's actually a promotion from God and we back down from it. And that's the promise, church. When we have this joy and we do these things, we humble ourselves and really God exalts us. He does. God has something great to do in your life. And when you lay your agenda down, God can use you according to his purpose. And when God does that, church, when you're living for not your own purpose, we're not living to impress others, we're not living for the applause, you will find that joy from God, not because of what you can do on your own, but because of what God is doing in your life. So that's it, church. How do you have joy? Have the same attitude like Jesus. I, I think that could be the big idea for today. You want joy in this life? Be like Jesus. It sounds so easy, doesn't it? Like, like maybe we're craving for some, but that's what we teach our kids. At Kids Rock, we tell them, hey, if you want to do really great in this life, just be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. And if we can take that lesson that we teach to our children, you will experience that joy. You really will. So if we can bow your heads, close your eyes, I want to pray.